We talk to a lot of very successful people in the entertainment industry on this podcast. We're talking about the upper, upper echelon of movies, television, all of it. So I thought it would be a nice change of pace if today we talked to somebody who is closer to the beginning of their career right now. A lot of times, the people who are most successful today came up in a slightly different industry. I mean, the industry is always changing dramatically. So while there are certain truisms to getting started, there are also a lot of things that are no longer relevant in their paths and lessons. So it would be nice to learn from somebody who's a little bit closer to the now, right now. I'm George Edelman, host of the No Film School podcast, editor-in-chief at No Film School. And my guest today is Anne-Sophie Bine. She has a short that is doing the festival rounds right now. She has worked on some very large productions, and she has some interesting insights into that process that she shares with us. But what we're really going to get into is what she's doing today, how she got where she is right now, what her process was for making the shorts that are starting to get her noticed that got her onto my desk, so to speak, in terms of her project and just discussing it and its path. And it's interesting to hear about that, why she did it, what she had to do to get it done, all those kinds of things. For us at No Film School, there's always an interest in knowing more about people who are just kind of breaking through step zero, step one, step one and a half, step two. So that's why I thought it'd be a nice change of pace to do this. Of course, you should always like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast and this YouTube channel. Make sure to leave comments. Let us know what you think. Check out all of our other content at nofilmschool.com. And we're going to keep doing these video versions of the podcast as well. So whether you're subscribing right now on wherever you get your audio iTunes, Spotify's podcasts, whatever you like to get your podcasts at, however people say that, or if you prefer video, be sure to keep an eye on our YouTube channel where we'll be dropping these on usually Tuesdays, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays for our interviews, and usually Thursdays and Fridays for our weekly show where we will also be doing video. It's a weekly roundup featuring me and the rest of the No Film School podcast team. So keep your eyes out for the video. And as always, keep your ears out for the audio on the podcast. And here we go with Anne-Sophie talking about her early process of getting started in shorts. Usually I like to start with just kind of what got you into the industry in the first place. Yeah. And uh, kind of what, what began your, your filmmaking career, your interest in directing mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Like, where did it start? So I always uh, loved storytelling. I was never the kid who was running around the home with a VC, like with a DV cam taking, you know, video of everyone. But I was the kid uh, making little short story books in class. So story has always been a very primary leading force in my life. But then I kind of also had pretty strong interests in visual art and um, ideas in general and music at one point, performance. And I just didn't really know which direction to go for a very long time. I felt like I was at the base of a tree with a lot of different branches um, going in different directions and that I couldn't, for the love of me, decide which one was the right one. So I like switched majors a whole bunch of times in college, um, ended up studying, uh, having a major and a double minor, 
just major commitment issues, intellectually speaking, until I kind of realized that um, all of those things came together in film and that it was a place where their directing was a place where it was not a disadvantage to be a jack of all trades. It was, if anything, necessary um, to have, you know, a visual imagination, a sense of story, um, a way with words, an understanding of performance. Um, and an ear for music. So it was just like, it made so much sense. Um, and I haven't turned back since. What was like the first project? And then kind of what did you do with the knowledge of like, oh, I want to do this thing that is actually like an extremely challenging thing to do, to build a career around, to yeah. <laughs> to break into? Like, was there well, a reckoning you know, with that reality or? There was, for me, there was never really a world in which I did something that wasn't in the arts and all of the arts uh, at this point in time in our society are difficult to break into. Um, you know, whether I decided to be a musician or a novelist or, or whatnot, um, it would all have been equally challenging. So the, you know, I think my parents were the ones who were deeply fearful of how I would do um, trying to break into a career that's so competitive and so challenging and so saturated and so underpaid, but right. Well, novelists might've been harder in some of those ways. <laughs> yeah, so definitely. And harder to do in a way. I think the hardest part of um, filmmaking for me is hands down the writing. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm a writer director. So I, um, I write my own stuff. So some of your shorts you did edit, compose the music for <laughs> you like you did a whole bunch of stuff for him you can you tell me about kind of like the evolution of of what you were doing and kind of where it's gotten you now like what's happened recently kind of like having some things kind of pop finally yeah. like kind of reaching that point like and Definitely. and where you know what what kind of led you to like what are the stepping stones sort of to like a lot of people out there want to make a short right what are the things that you would say like made some of your shorts stand out? Mm, um, lots of good questions there. Um, so sorry, <laughs> too much at once. It was, uh, I went to Stanford and it was part of their poetry into film like challenge. I undergrad at Stanford. Yeah. I love poetry and I had, I just had a vision of, how to turn this one particular poem into a film. Um, and I ended up losing both of the times that I, that I applied for the poetry into film competition, even though I firmly believe that our shorts were among the best. <laughs> but, you know, um, after that, I just kind of didn't stop, even though I, my first job in film was as the assistant to the production designer on these really big productions. Like uh, my very first job was on um, the live action Disney remake of Pinocchio in London. And I developed a really close working relationship with uh, Rick Heinrichs, who's uh, an incredible production designer, Academy Award winner for Sleepy Hollow and just like has been doing major productions since. Um, total creative genius um and it was are, he's, um, he's he's his movies stand out for their production design there's like you know yes. sleepy hollow like, like that's crazy that's a recent movie and i'm curious how did you get 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard to even get a job like that to learn on those sets. How did you get access to that opportunity? And what was it, it was like, funny. like it's, going to so London I, and doing all that? Yeah, so I'm French. I am from Paris. My I'm French and Polish. And I don't have an American passport. I have a French passport and a Polish passport. And so, you know, the whole time that I was at Stanford, I was stressing about how I was going to be able to stay in the United States. And then I kind of, you know, after graduation, moved back to Europe and found a job in, in London um, because of that, actually. I see. So it was he was looking for someone to help him out and organize the entirety of the art department and like the workflow of the concept artists and the people working under him and couldn't get anyone from the U.S. because of visa reasons. And it just we were we happened to be interconnected through a family friend of his his uh, their their son was a close friend of mine at Stanford. And it just happened to be like a uh-huh. one, you know, two yeah. degrees of separation. And I went up to London, took the train up to London from Paris and met him. And we just geeked out about art and art history that I have a degree in. And um, he's obviously passionate about as a production designer. And so, yeah, so I got the job and that film actually ended up folding because the director at the time pulled out for personal reasons. And just around Christmas, all of Disney Studios kind of panicked because it was like during Christmas break. And so they shut down the whole production and it was put on pause for a little while and then like got picked back up again. A uh, different director, different crew, same concept. I know that story. That's fascinating. What was it like? Was it like a big, like crushing, like, man, this sucks that we're this far along and we're going to do this thing. Like, you know, especially working with someone like that. And I'm sure. I mean, you're from, I'm sure making a movie in London's awesome, (laughs) like a movie of that scale. So yeah, it was totally crushing. It was like, um, I never got to see the production, you know, um, it it was only pre-production, which was super interesting as well, but it would have been great to have, you know, been able to do the whole thing. But for Rick, it kind of worked out. Um, he ended up getting offered the, the job, the, um, Lord of the Rings show, as a production designer, That's good production and, design. <laughs> yes, great production design. Um, and uh, I was on this like solo backpacking trip through Thailand because I had been trying to find a jo- another job af- in London, and just like nothing was happening. And I kept just, just getting kind of demoralized. Go do a quest and stuff. in Thailand, and <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It all I was just like <laughs> exactly. Um, and I got an email. I got really sick in Thailand, and then I got an email while I was really sick. Um, from Rick being like, how would you like to live in New Zealand? Um, AKA, would you like to work with me again on the Lord of the Rings show? And I was like, yeah, of course. Um, and went to New Zealand. And that also ended up kind of being uh, curtailed abruptly. Also because of kind of internal politics, they ended up firing Rick. Wow. Yeah, it it was kind of a bit of a messed up political move internally speaking, but I actually think I would say that as exciting and big as those jobs were, they were actually in a way taking me a little bit away from directing and like kind of getting my start as, as, as my own artistic person. And that's probably not the advice that I'd give anyone who wants to try and get into making films because I mean, in all jobs, that time you think was, doesn't help n- not directly 
I would not yeah. say it helped directly. I think it was extremely influential in terms of my growth as a person and um, my understanding of how massive productions work and getting to, you know, glimpse the inside of like the biggest art departments ever. Um, ever. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was thinking is like, that's probably to date, like one of the biggest projects mm-hmm. ever. So interesting Definitely. insight and knowledge, even to like the political side of it. Like you exactly. learn things most people don't know about making stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, in during my time on Pinocchio, I kept just being like, I need to make something. I need to make something. And so while on Pinocchio, I ended up poaching like a couple of my friends from the Pinocchio art department and having them help me <laughs> make uh, a music video. And that's probably the one that you are thinking of that I, uh, it's like my music. Okay. And I edit it and started so you did that it, while also again. Being, and while also help working in the yeah. production to design yeah. a department, the art department. Sorry. That's pretty cool. Did you feel like that? Cause that seems like it was the step two dog lover. Like, was that kind of like the, okay, I'm done with this. What did you do with it when you were done with it? Like what happens to a short, that short when you're finished? Like that was one of the hardest parts of uh, making it is just the fact that um, not only do you have to make this thing, which is incredibly difficult, but then you also have to sort of like, go through with it till the very end and sort of see it through and then know what to do with it once you're done. And I definitely didn't know what to do with it at that point. I had no sense of like what the film festival scene was like and just kind of went on film freeway and got very overwhelmed um, by like it's also cost how much everything cost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How much <laughs> right. everything costs and like what to like where to send it to. And there's so many festivals out there and I was all by myself. I didn't have a producer or anything. So it was kind of like I was trying to drag this thing through to the end of its life cycle kind of by myself. And um, it's very easy as well as an artist to kind of want to move on to the next thing once you're done or even before you're done. I think the temptation to like make something new um, is always present. But there were a couple uh, additional steps before Dog Lover. Um, So after that, I think after the New Zealand job, I sort of didn't make anything for a little while. It was the pandemic and or it was like just before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened and I was just sort of feeling a little adrift. I think another massive challenge of being an artist beyond the fact that the world is not really designed for us is the fact that it can feel like you're making things into a vacuum and Like, who cares about what I make? But also, who cares if I don't make it? So, like, what's the point anyway? It's just very easy to get caught up in that thinking. And I was very much deep in that thought process. And I think it took a little bit of, you know, soul searching to realize that what I needed and what could help was community and structure. And that's largely why I applied to AFI, the American Film Institute. Um, It was the only place that I applied to. I had been very anti-film school my entire time, you know, learning about it, I was just firmly believing that it was not something that you could learn um, from a school, that it was very much something that you had to learn by doing. And I still stand by that. I just think that it came at a point where I needed community, artistic community, and some sort of architecture around the things that I was making. Yeah. Also, just the having a motivator to create something talk about it, yeah, learn exactly. from it, Deadlines, like a cult, you know? uh, uh, even a culture of 
here's what didn't work. And we're here to talk about that instead mm-hmm. of just like, if it didn't work, you suck, which is what the industry yeah. makes it feel like. <laughs> so, so I would totally get it. I mean, I think that the community aspect is the, one of the biggest reasons it's important and valuable. But yeah, so then you came to LA, did AFI. And Dog Lover was the first project that I worked on at AFI. It was, um, it was at the time what's called a cycle film, which is like a, they make three of them in the first year. It's a two-year program. Um, so you make three cycle films in the first year. And it was the very first team that I, um, that I ended up working with. And we all were just really excited about the story. And unfortunately, cycle films are not shareable. You can't put them on your website. You can't um, share them with uh, film festivals, which AFI has a couple good reasons for doing that, partially because uh, it just kind of releases any sort of limitations about what you can and can't do. Um, it mm-hmm. becomes kind of more of a experimental exercise. And you can kind of adapt any source material, use any kind of music, because it's just it's a class exercise. But we were all kind of bummed that it couldn't see the light of day and felt like the story still had legs. And so we decided to make it on our own. So we remade the whole thing. We raised $25,000. We brought together a whole crew. We sort of like rewrote and extended the script, or Ari did, um, our screenwriter, and rented a location and just did it all over. And that was, you know, that took some personal motivation because it was outside. What's it like of- to do a second draft of something that you thought was good? Because that's not something people do a lot, you know, yeah, because of necessity. Was- so like you looked at everything you did and you were like, I'm not going to do it exactly the same way. Or did you look at it like, I don't want to screw it up and it's fine. <laughs> like, how do you do, you know, I think the only person who maybe could also talk about this is, uh, Gus Van Sant, who remade Psycho. Like, usually people don't remake something when they're like, this is good, and I'm just going to, I need to do it again. <laughs> like, Yeah, it was scary. I definitely received advice being like, you're going to lose the magic. Like, remaking something is extremely dangerous. Like, you can't just, like, replicate that magic exactly the same way. And you can't, you know? There were things that I, that worked perfectly in the first draft that, like, didn't quite hit the same exact way, you know, like a particular shot was just not possible because it's a different location or things like Mm. that. But I think that it viewing it as a learning experience, viewing it as like, okay, it's a first draft. It's a proof of concept and going to take what we learned from it and the notes that people had and make it better. And I think ultimately it worked out quite well. I think it is an improved version of the kind of like very first thing that I did in film school. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's that too. Like it was like the very first thing in film school, right? So there's, yeah. I was just realizing the other example very similarly would be THX 1138 because USC doesn't let you, like just like AFI, like you make something there, it's theirs. There's a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. but being like, but that's good. I need it for my career. Mm-hmm. Then make mm-hmm. it again, you know? Yeah. A little different, obviously way yeah. more money in that case, but still. So what happened when you made it? The second one, tell us just, you know, the story of kind of what happened with, and now you're looking at a different life of a short than you did the first, the other time. Oh yeah, uh, definitely. Um, well, I think I am much more equipped both in terms of like feeling like I can do this and also just having support from other people in the community to kind of get it through 
and past just like being a file on my Vimeo to actually getting it out there. I'm actually in Wichita right now at the Tallgrass Film Festival where it's playing on Friday. So tomorrow, tomorrow night. And it's crazy. It's exciting. It's, you know, it takes a lot of perseverance and a lot of money as well, but it's exciting to actually have it, you know, to know where to send it to and to have sent it to a lot of different festivals and to have some of them actually program it. Um, there's definitely a momentum that builds there and, and it makes me feel like I could do it again. Where did it uh, play first? What was the first festival? Yeah, the first festival was uh, a small festival in Monrovia called Broad Humor Film Festival, which is a uh, female um, filmmaker comedy festival. And that was cool. The second place that it played was Downtown LA Film Festival, which was great because we got to like bring a lot of our friends and family. Well, not my family, but other people <laughs> were able to bring people in their networks and in their circles to come see it. And also industries around here. Have you had any interaction with the indus- the larger industry or any parts of the industry through any of the festivals or through making the short or through F- AFI? Like kind of does your, do, does your gaze fall further down the line to those kinds of things with the short? Because a lot of people, the short is the calling card. And so they're mm-hmm. always looking like, okay, the short's out. It's good enough to do X, Y, Z. You know, where does it take me next? I'd say agents and managers, the overwhelming advice that I've received is that you shouldn't be looking for one. They will come find you when you are ready and when they're ready. And if you're at any point, like sort of actually seeking out a manager, it's probably because things are like, you're not ready for one. And I also think that with management, it's sort of like you, you get what you put in. So if you're not doing very much work and expecting them to do it for you, then they're not going to do very much work for you. You know, I think I'm still at a stage in my career where I feel like I want to be doing most of my own managing, you know, and being able to find jobs for myself and find work for myself and decide what I'm going to do next. And I'm not, I'm not stressed about it. I think again, it'll, it'll happen when it needs to happen. As yeah, far as if you're soliciting think, it, it's, yeah. it's definitely a sign <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that it's not time. Yeah. But sometimes they show yeah. up to these things and then you hear from them. You know, like sometimes yeah. you'll get people who will show up and be like, you know, there's, you know, X, and sometimes the people who contact you are not reputable either. You know, there's a whole world to navigate there of like, especially yeah. when you're playing in LA, you know, there'll be people who will approach and be like, do you want to bundle this short with a bunch of others and make some money? Or do you want to, you know, all kinds of weird yeah. stuff. Um, and some's legit and some's not, but it's kind of part of what you're stepping into. Like you're saying, I think LA is like the breeding ground for, um, people who make themselves sound more legit than they are. Um, and it's definitely a game of navigation. Um, the other tough thing about film is that it's, you know, not only are you creating your own work, you also have to navigate this entire industry and like the social sphere of of like who the people that you encounter are and like how to interact with them. Um, so there's a lot of like networking and, 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 and sussing people out that's involved. Yeah. I personally find it really unpleasant, but it's, oh, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's a part worse. of it. So what's your not- sort of like, how did you come to me? That's a, like, like how, like someone you worked with put you in touch with us, someone in PR, you know, 
So yeah. how do those things, right? So like there's some, you've already navigated certain things because we're here, you know, or, yeah, or I mean, like, think, like when you're I at think, like, so those kinds of things are sort of interesting just at the level, at the place you're at too, because there's a lot of people who are just looking to go from where they are to where you are right now. And then it, there's places like steps after that and they're all kind of circuitous, but it's, it's interesting because you've come to a certain point, you know? Yeah. I, I think two things. I think, first of all, you definitely just have to do it. And I think it's kind of like dating in a way you sort of have to view it as like, if you're viewing it too much based on the end goal and the objective, I think things can backfire a little bit and I think you have to just view it as like, I'm talking to human beings here and I'm going to make a relationship with this human being that I'm talking to, regardless of who they are to me and what they can do for me. Ultimately, it's just about being curious about someone else and having a conversation. The other thing that I'd say is that it's also important not to get caught up in it because I think in a way, as unpleasant as it is, it's it's easier than generating your own content. And... Uh, content is such an icky word, but your own yeah, material. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, there's, I've definitely procrastinated from writing and developing my own stuff by being like, well, I'm, I'm going to take this meeting with this person, and, you know, like all these sort of things that are crucial to the development of a career in film. But I think focusing most of your energy on developing your own material, writing and directing eventually does pay off in the long run. And I really believe that. So I think even if people feel like they're not very good at networking and at playing the whole game, so long as your material is good and you're dedicated very seriously to developing it, then I think eventually that stuff does get noticed. The good stuff comes to the top at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it sort of seems like even in an early start, like you've had some success navigating things because you've managed to kind of do some PR, do some like meet people who are connecting dots for you. So you've, so whatever your approach is, it's start, it's working early on. Mm -hmm. But I guess the thing that I'm also curious about is sort of with the festivals and sort of like mm -hmm. the cost of putting the movie out, there, making the movie again, the cost of getting the movie to festivals, the short, the cost of being at them. Are you guys, are you, did you have producers on it? Are you looking to make something back? Are they? Are you, I mean, 25 isn't a lot, but for a short, it's substantial, you know? So like in terms of just the whole making it all work, like putting the pieces together to get it made and putting the pieces together to put it out there and, you know, all that. And, you know, how did that come together? Because for a lot of people, that's like, that's again, the hardest part is like, if you made a good short at yeah. AFI or wherever, but then you have to like find funding to make it that you can put it out in the world and kind of pursue the career. Yeah, funding things sucks. Uh, raising money is terrible. We, um, my writer Ari and I were having a conversation with some of the board members at Tallgrass, and you know they were saying like their main job is raising money for the festival, and it does get easier. It's like they're in their fifties, and it still sucks just as much for them. Like very acclaimed, renowned uh, members of the filmmaking community are still having to go out to their friends and family and people with money and convince them to part with that money. So yeah, it definitely sucked. It was no fun. But I think there comes a point where you just have to ask. There's all sorts of kind of like ways to do it. I think that become arguably easier with features. 
because there's tax codes, tax incentives uh, for people who have money and want to get tax credits for mm. um, their money. But I think ar- arguably it's like harder with shorts and especially a first short because you don't know where to start and who to ask. Um, and there's no guarantee of making anything back. There's no market. Oh, no. Right? I think so you have to different... kind of, my personal take is you can't expect to make anything back. It's, that's yeah. not, it's, it's money that you won't really see again. So as part of it, did you put together, I mean, you did have the short, you made it AFI, you put together a pitch. Mm-hmm. How do you yeah. approach people? How do you ask? What's your strategy? <laughs> so yeah, I did have a producer that I was co-producing with um, another AFI um, member, Tara, and we had all sorts of strategies. So at one point I was like trying to fund it with cryptocurrency. It was kind of like just as people were starting to get obsessed with NFTs. So we made like six or $7,000 with NFTs, which is not massive, but it's still, it's still yeah. something. I would not recommend that approach, but- Not um, anymore, but it probably yeah. at the time it was working. Now it probably yeah. would be tougher. <laughs> yeah. But I think the bulk of it, honestly, is just like reaching out to people who have money and asking them directly to donate. I think- it's such an unpleasant feeling to ask someone to give you money, but it's just part of what we have to do. You know, friends and family, um, relatives, just being like, hey, it would mean a lot if you could donate anywhere from like $200 to like $1,000, you know? And for some people, style. that's more money than, yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's what we did. We did a Kickstarter. We put together a compelling pitch, you know, making sure that people know that we can do it and that we're serious about this and that it means something to us and why the film matters. And I think people like supporting the arts. I think people do like seeing you make stuff. I think involving the donors and like, hey, this is what we made, like this is thanks to you guys, honestly makes things easier the next time around. Well, for some people it is. Like people who finance campaigns, they seem to have a very easy time asking for money. <laughs> But when you go on to uh, when you go into where you are now, you're taking the short out. A lot of people ask this. I've had this experience and talked to countless people who've had it. People will want to know, okay, I like your short. What are you doing next? What do you have? How do you prepare yourself for that? And do you have stuff you're like, I'm going to do this next for sure? Yeah, I think like I was saying, I think the the main thing is is being serious about developing your own material and always being in development on something. Um, So I have another short that is my thesis film at AFI that's coming out or that we've just started applying to festivals with. Um, So hopefully we'll be hearing back in the coming months and it's just starting its festival circuit basically. And then beyond that, I am developing a couple features. I have a script that I'm in the middle of rewriting that I'm going to be applying to different uh, labs with and fellowships um, and hopefully making, you know, in the next year, starting to think about developing a feature and raising money for that. So yeah, definitely important to come to festivals and, you know, just broadly speaking with something that you're doing next. Do you feel like this kind of traveling around with the short, talking about it, putting it out there has sort of given you some like momentum on other things or helped you to identify collaborators or anybody who you can work with or help you on the next things. Has that happened or not really? I think it's 
a little less concrete than that for me at this time. I think it's more about meeting people and being open to the random things that will come of those people rather than like specific people that I've met that I am dying to work with. But, you know, I think it's life is funny that way that, you know, you meet someone and if you remain open, like I said, just kind of like treat it like a connection with a human being, regardless of whether or not you think that they can do anything for you. At some point down the line, things will come around that surprise you. So thanks to um, the Broad Humor uh, Film Fest that I played at, Sundance actually reached out to them asking for uh, the names of a couple filmmakers that they felt most strongly about um, to get them like a private invite to apply directly to the second round of the Sundance uh, Feature Lab program. And that was my case. And so I got... um, you know, the direct invitation to apply to the second round of submissions, which things like that just happen and you can't predict them. And the more you remain open to other people, um, the more those things happen, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's I mean, that's a good example of like the pieces, just kind of certain things, avenues open up to you as you go. Yeah, you can't predict them. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming. Uh, it's been really interesting talking to you and and uh, hearing about it, and uh, we'll keep an eye on what happens, of course, and come back <laughs> with the next with the future projects, of course. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Anne Sophie, for coming on the podcast. You can read about all kinds of filmmaking education and more at nofilmschool.com. That's our website. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please also like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. Leave comments. Let us know what you think. Send us questions to editor at nofilmschool.com. We like to answer those, even if they're not questions and they're just comments or feedback, on our weekly show, which releases on Thursdays, sometimes Fridays. And I'm always doing these interviews. They release Tuesdays, sometimes Wednesdays, sometimes Mondays. Kind of depends on release schedules and guests and things of that nature. As always, we're happy to have you. Thanks so much for listening and now watching. Mm